0: We just don't have time, simply no time. We've got to get right to the interviews. we got to get right to the stories with Monk, with Ricky, with Ethan. There's a lot that's happened in the last month. No time for stories. My name is Rob Kelly. This is Criterium Nation and our special series, The Project Echelon Files. But we're still a show about life lived one corner at a time. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium Network of Shows. WideAnglePodium.com is the website that you can go to to find out about the full bevy, that's right, bevy of shows that we have available there. Go there, become a subscriber and a supporter. We really appreciate it if you do. This week, we are brought to you like we have been for the past couple of months by our friends at Manscaped. Manscaped Manscaped.com is your place to go for the best in men's grooming here in the United States and in Canada. They have a new launch that they're going through right now, all about the Ultra Smooth package. Last week, I talked about it like I was Barry White. I realize now I will never be Barry White. I do not have that level of bass or baritone in my voice. It is just Rob Kelly here telling you that if you go to manscaped.com and you look through the options that are available for the ultra smooth package, the crop exfoliator, the crop gel, the crop shaver, these are the things that will help you in your nether regions in that chamois area keep everything just baby smooth. In addition to the Ultra Smooth package, we have the Boxers 2.0. It's one, two, three, four, five, six different options available in these wonderful boxers. I am wearing them right now as I talk. I can't feel anything. It's just perfect. It's wonderful. When you find what you're looking for at Manscaped, whether it be the Ultra Smooth Collection, the Boxers 2.0, the Lawnmower, the Weed Whacker, the whole nine yards, use the promo code CRITERIUMNATION, all one word for 20% off, plus free shipping. This week, we are also brought to you by our friends at Source Endurance. Source-e.net is your place for the best, in endurance coaching in the United States, in Canada. I don't know where else they go. Mexico, the Caribbean, all over the world. It doesn't matter. The human body is a human body. And the coaches and nutritionists at Source Endurance are there to help get you into your best condition, whether, whether it is lining up for your first ever criterium, like our friend Canuck Chickadee from the great Nova Scotia land slash San Diego, or you're getting ready for the Belgian waffle ride, all of the crits that are coming up here on the East Coast or whatever it is. I don't know. You just want to start to ride bikes more often and you want to get better at it. Source Endurance has a coach for you. And with reasonable prices and a great variety of different offers, go to source-e.net. You'll find out that it is the perfect place for you to be. And when you find what you're looking for, use the promo code CRITERIUMNATION, again, all one word, for $50 off your first month. Okay, all of that business out of the way now. We don't have time for any more. We've got to get right to it with Ricky Arnobel talking about Gila and Redlands. And we're doing that right now. Ricky, we're back. It's chapter two now, which means everything gets harder. You know, everything gets better as the story moves along. The the main characters become confronted with challenges. And I know that you've had a fair bit of challenge since we last saw each other in Winston-Salem. But first and foremost, where are you joining us from today? Where in the great United States have you come from?
1: I am at the moment back in the Mecca, the bubble... Of Boulder Colorado where I live um, I have been on the road for it seems like forever at this point so being back home in my office which is also my bedroom has just been um great reprieve so I'm pretty stoked to yeah have all my own stuff again
0: because you went from Winston-Salem to Tucson then you went from Tucson to Southern California and Redlands and then you did the Great American Stage Race, which means you did Redlands and Gila, which is Silver City, New Mexico, back to to Boulder. I mean, how do you stay fresh? How do you stay unburned out from being away from, you know, the world that you know for so long?
1: Yeah, you know, it was actually it was, I guess it was Tucson, then Boulder for two days, then team camp, then back to Boulder, then Redlands, then Silver City. Within little one day spent in Tucson and then back to Boulder. So uh, in between, it's the little things that like you can replicate at, that you have at home that you can bring on the road. So like number one is I bring my pillow with me everywhere. Like anyone that knows me know I'm, I'm very particular about the pillow that I have to sleep with. It's a tempur It's not a knockoff. It's name brand. Like I need it. And it's the one thing that makes me kind of feel like I'm at home and you know just like when you're with the boys so much it's it's awesome but it also can it can wear on you sometimes so kind of taking the time to go into your separate corner of the bedroom that you're sharing with six other guys and maybe putting in headphones and watching Netflix or listening to a podcast um kind of things like that i mean you're kind of in this moving circus so the ability to kind of um be uh, an introvert for five minutes per day, like I think is definitely necessary for mental health.
0: Is this elite bike racing life as glamorous as we all hope it is? I mean, uh, I mean, how many people
1: did we fit in one house at team camp? I think like 15 people. And I shared one of our uh, director's children's bedroom with two other guys. I, I slept with his like dinosaur or Avenger sheets or something like that. You know, Redlands actually is 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 kind of it's kind of plush. That's not so bad, you know, you get your own bedroom there, but then Silver City, you know, despite a very beautiful mountainous homestay, I shared a room that was like um like maybe a cellar or like a second second kitchen with two other guys on air mattresses, so no. And then if you like think that like oh, it must be good in Europe, no. Europe is equally terrible. You go to a hotel that is 300 years old, And you're on a bed that is also 300 years old, that is a quarter of the size of a normal twin bed. So none of it's glamorous, but, um, we get massages every day. So that's kind of nice. But the the funny thing is like, I joke about it, but having homestays opposed to staying in hotels for, which I think is a very American bike racing thing. Like, I don't think you get that anywhere else. It's honestly awesome because you get to meet some very cool people, very interesting people, sometimes very odd people sometimes. But, um... It's way more fun. It keeps you on your toes. Sometimes they cook you food, sometimes they don't give you anything. Sometimes the house is an empty house that's being sold on the market in 2 weeks, but like I think it's um it's a bit more fun than being in hotels everywhere. And I think that's like a quintessential American bike racing thing just traveling from homestay to homestay.
0: You've had a busy March, April, May. You are now like mid-20s as far as the number of race days are concerned for this year. You had some pretty lofty expectations coming into the season. We talked about it at team camp. Finally, Matt Zimmer was no longer going to be in your way. You were going to be able to rise to the top, <laughs> but you got, you got hit with a setback. Right after team camp, what happened?
1: Yeah, so the the setback, and you know, we talked about this a little bit, actually started about 10 years ago. The setback was that I never listened to my dentist and I never got my wisdom teeth removed. And I had four wisdom teeth that very much needed to come out that every year I said, next year, I'll get them out. And here I am at 29 years old, and I still had my wisdom teeth. And so two weeks before team camp, one of those wisdom teeth, decided to act up it got infected they said you need to get your wisdom tooth removed like as soon as possible and i'm like could i wait till the fall like you don't get it i've got races to do and they're like no you cannot wait till the fall like this could get bad and i'm like oh, okay this is gonna be a whole ordeal at this point so i had to get my wisdom tooth removed the day after team camp i scheduled it i was like it's not going to be ideal but heck who knows maybe it, it'll be fine So I flew back actually a day early from team camp. Next day, 7 a.m. in the dentist office, they're like about to, you know, give me anesthesia. And I'm like, hey, can I just like do this with a local, you know, like just some Novocaine? And they're like, no, that's that's not going to work. This is not going to be fun. Little did I know it was an involved kind of procedure and they had to cut my jawbone to get two of the teeth out. So I was like, holy crap. okay, this was a real uh, thing. And so, you know, I was a bit messed up after that. And, you know, they're like, you should take two weeks off, you know, from physical activity. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Like for sure. I'll do that. And so like two days later I was back on the bike. It probably wasn't good. Cause I could feel like the blood pulsating in my mouth from like that. Yeah, I know. Sorry if you're squeamish, this is not going to be very fun. Um, but yeah, so that was a setback and that, um, it was really tough, but it, you know, I expected it at least. What I didn't kind of expect is that the recovery from it was like pretty involved and, I thought that I could just kind of hit the ground running. And, you know, I was in very good shape at that point. So I wasn't too concerned. But, you know, the training just kind of wasn't what I expected. You know, as cyclists, we're super in tune with our body. We know how we're going to respond. We know how we should feel at all points. And so, you know, when it kind of feels like you're doing 40 watts more than what it's saying and everything kind of feels harder, you start to get concerned. And especially when you're three weeks out from, you know, two of the biggest races in the country and ones that I've personally been targeting, like it was really tough and it started to weigh on me. And then, you know, it's, it's one of those things that doesn't get talked enough in cycling, you know, it's a stressful sport as it is. And mental health can, you know, wane a lot throughout the season, just depending on how you're feeling. And at that moment, you know, as someone who suffers from like pretty bad anxiety, sometimes like that anxiety was just picking up day after day after day, because I just wasn't able to do these workouts. And I'm just like the whole time, like, it's okay, you know, it'll get better kind of thing. But, you know, that stuff kind of compounds sometimes and you just kind of try to push it aside and keep pedaling. But ultimately, you know, I think my body was just under a ton of stress and adding kind of mental fatigue on top of that got it to a point where I was a week out from Redlands and barely able to do any of the workouts. And like, I'm one of those guys that like, I don't skip workouts. I do workouts exactly as they're written. I never struggle with them. That's just like, I just get it done. And so it came to the point, you know, I'm talking with our director, Isaiah, and, you know, we decided like, I need to do something to kind of break this pattern. So I actually, a week out from Redlands, took four days off the bike completely, just didn't even ride. And everyone's like, oh, well, you know, that must not be a big deal. You're in good shape already. But for anyone that knows, you know, training and how to peak and all this stuff, it's like four days off the bikes, almost like a death sentence right before a race. But I think it was something necessary for me to kind of physically and mentally reset And knowing that I had a big base of fitness, like just going into Redlands a little bit blind to what I'd be able to do, but ultimately like in a better space. So, yeah. So, I mean, I showed up at Redlands and a little bit of um, like a mystery at exactly how I'd respond and how I'd feel. So, um, yeah, you know, just California one day out from the race. It was kind of a nerve wracking event.
0: Yeah. Talk to us about the anxiety I mean, so much of being an elite athlete is confidence, the confidence to know that you're going to perform when you need to perform the confidence that you've got the equipment, the people behind you, all of it, you know, like, you know, because you've been on this team since the, the beginning, basically, that the guys are behind you. Eric, the owner is behind you. Isaiah is behind you. You know, all the guys who are there are behind you. And you probably don't want to let them down. And that just kind of is this internal cycle of like, I'm nervous because it's a race and it's an important race. I'm nervous because I don't know how my body's going to react. And I'm nervous because I don't want to let the guys down. How does that all kind of mesh into your brain when you struggle with anxiety?
1: I mean, it's it's a really hard part and it it kind of becomes like, um, it's cyclical almost in the sense that you're anxious cuz you're not doing well you're anxious cuz you're not performing you're anxious because you have this big race you're anxious because you don't want to let people down and all of that's ultimately making it worse because then i'm probably not performing well because i'm anxious in the first place and so that's what it that's why i talk about kind of breaking the cycle and that's what taking the break ultimately was intended for and so it, you know it's really hard it's a i think the one thing like you said that I do have is a really good support system in my teammates that are ultimately some of my best friends, um, including Eric, you know, it's hard for him to separate himself as owner and manager and friend all the time. But ultimately I always know he's going to be supportive of me. So having him be like, I know what you're capable of. I know what you can do. And then having like Isaiah in my corner being like, I know exactly what you can do. And he's a good friend as well. And then family, you know, being like, you know, we're behind you no matter what. So having that, it's just like, and then just, kind of being like, it's a bike race, which is really hard for bike racers, because that's one of the biggest problems of why this sport is so high stress is that, I mean, the physical toll that it takes is very high. And to race at this level that like, we put so much of our life into that, it becomes this like high stakes thing for some of us. And, you know, it, it's very easy to probably be like, oh, well just, you know, care less about it, or it's just a bike race. But yeah, sometimes, I mean, it's really important to all of us. If it wasn't important to me, I wouldn't be eating salads and cauliflower and oatmeal as like half my meals. And I wouldn't be spending so much time riding my bike and not doing other things like, you know, going to the bar or whatever. So, you know, having to manage all these things and then go into one of the biggest races in the country is really hard. And ultimately I just kind of had to let go of a little bit of control and just be like, Hey, whatever happens is going to happen. You know, I might not have the ideal race that I wanted to have, but we have a team that can win this. So like, it's not just about me. It's far from that. It's about this team. And like, if the team wins and I can be a part of that, then that's success right there.
0: Did you have to lower your personal expectations because of the anxiety? Did you have to lower your personal expectations because that was the only way you were going to get to sleep the night before?
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. But like, it i don't think it's ever quite that easy because i don't think if you i mean if you don't go into a bike race thinking that you can win it i almost don't think it's worth being there and as bad as that sounds like even if you're maybe not capable of winning that race i still think you always have to go in there being like i could win this race because you know that's what a lot of it is about is just having that confidence and like having that drive to be like you know i'm here to to win and maybe that's just me maybe that's the position i I put myself in, but I had to still believe that I was capable of having my best day on the bike. But I also had to tell myself that if I wasn't going to have my best day on the bike or if I performed less than I knew I was capable of, that that had to be OK, because if it, if I was going to let that then affect me, like, yeah, I probably wouldn't have even made it through a day of that race.
0: So let's talk Redlands, because it chronologically comes before Gila you know, the story for Redlands is the story of Tyler Stites. Somebody joked with me. Uh, he was one of your competitors. He was in there and he was trying to, you know, make sure that his GC guy was in a good position. And I said, I don't know if you're going to be able to do anything about it because Tyler Stite about to really make his name in this sport. The guy's response was, He's just human. I don't know. And I don't know if that's the case anymore. Is Tyler Stite still human? Tyler, Tyler is a, he is an
1: awesome person. You know, anyone that kind of knows Tyler knows he's, he's a quieter guy, but that doesn't mean that he's not just an absolute killer on the bike, but he's like a killer in the nicest way on the bike possible too. Like he'll never rub it in your face. He'll just like execute. And he's just like so aware of himself and what he's capable of doing. That you're like, maybe this guy is a robot, but he's a super funny and nice robot too, if that's the case. So, like, but this truly is like, this was Tyler Spring, and we kind of knew that going in. And that's not to say that we don't have a list of guys that are capable of doing things on their day. Like I said, I was going in too, like being like, yeah, you know, I have ambitions as well. And we have Zach and Steven that are incredible time trialists. We have Hugo that I think in Redlands, and we can talk about it, really showed what he's capable of doing. We have Zimmer who, You know, despite being my like mortal enemy, like Zimmer's capable of doing anything on his day. You never know about that guy. He's, he's super crafty. And then you take like a Peter, who's one of the most experienced people out there, Jordan, who's like uber experienced. Like we have this dream team and you know, it's funny. I was talking with Isaiah today, we were having coffee and we were just talking about the depth of this team. And so going in, like, even though I was maybe feeling, you know, not a hundred percent, like we had this team that was capable of doing a lot. And mainly, we had a team that was capable of doing a lot if we worked as a unit, which we started to really figure out at Valley of the Sun and Tucson Bicycle Classic. And then, like, Redlands, it clicked. It just 100% clicked.
0: You know, you look at the the group of guys, and you brought up Hugo Scala Jr. I want to talk about him because, you know, everybody on Project Echelon seems to have a nickname, you know? You've got The Tank, uh, you know? Zach Gregg, and you've got the Humble Hammer. I mean, you've got some really great nicknames. Hugo doesn't have a nickname yet, although I think he deserves to have one. I came up with one during team camp because I thought it matched his personality, and I want to float it by you. The the Submariner, because he is the silent service. He's there. He's right under the surface. We are all grateful that he's there because you never know when he's going to strike. He had had such a quiet year all the way up until Redlands and the crit in Redlands. And then boom, he surfaces, launches his missiles and he gets a third and he gets third with Tyler Williams and Alec Cohen coming in first and second, you know, like these aren't just nobodies who are beating him and Eric Bruner, national champion and cyclocross and BWR exceptional. He got fourth and Ryan J strap, you know, like, Talk to us about having Hugo in that mix with the rest of you guys for Redlands.
1: Yeah, Hugo is probably one of the most well-rounded guys we have on our team. And I think he really showed what he was capable in a very high stretch. Like, I have to start off with the Redlands crit is a very interesting crit. It is not easy. I personally think it's one of the hardest crits. It's very tight. It's very technical. If you don't start that race in the top 20 wheels, like, it's just, it's not a fun time. And Hugo with the depth that he had showed how good he kind of was in what I think is a very difficult race. And he was exactly where he needed to be when he would be. He was, you know, the submarine thing kind of works because there would be like 10 minutes where you wouldn't see him. And then he would just shoot out of nowhere and he'd have Tyler on his wheel and they'd get the bonus sprint. And then like the last three laps of that race, which like, you know, Legion did Legion, To their credit, they were ridiculously fast and you were just like locked in place. And you those last three turns of that race are just absolute technical messes. And he was able to navigate that. And it was very impressive. But I mean, like I said, that he played a role the entire race. So that was just one piece of like what he's capable of.
0: That last day, the last day of Redlands was your day, but you sacrificed your capacity your personal performance for Tyler you know because you were up the road that last day Tyler needed to get up the road he was down a few points a few seconds on Xander White from CS Velo and you know he needed to get those additional seconds and and you were the guy who played that exceptionally critical exceptionally selfless role tell us about how that worked out for you
1: it was an awesome day to begin with, but it was one of those days where we set out a plan. that was a very highly technical plan that, you know, could easily have been messed up, but wound up being executed exactly as we planned it, which was very, it, it, it's crazy to see that plan kind of work. But basically at the beginning of the day, it was like, we wanted to get me specifically in the break and Sunset's a race I've done well in before. I know how that course rides and I kind of know what is required of it, but Getting in a break is never, you know, the easiest thing in the world. Um, I'm not the strongest person out there, so I can't just, you know, ride away and hope that some people come with me. So, I mean, ultimately, the day started with you do the laps of the crick course and then you climb up to the circuit. And on the first KOM of the circuit is, I think, a three-second KOM bonus to whoever gets it. So it's a time bonus. And when the lead is, you know, coming down to nine, ten seconds, three seconds is a tonne. So we're like, we need to get that bonus because getting that is going to bring us that much closer. So, I mean, the day started off with ultimately a lead out up to that KOM Um, when I, I mean, I, I took the guys to about like 50 meters and then Zimmer launched with Tyler on his wheel. We got that. And then, you know, I think everyone knew we were, that's what we were going for. And we were riding hard enough that no one could really start attacking at that point. So the attacks really started flying after that on the next lap. I got into the move. It was rolling. It was rolling really well. You know, we had two Legion guys in it and Sam Boardman of Legion, like he flatted kind of soon into the break. So it was kind of a bummer. So it was just one, but we we're still working super well together. And then, you know, ultimately I lost track actually of how many, it, it, it was a hard day. It was hot. I, was, I wasn't I was bonked out there, but you know, you're you're in the box a bit. So I hear some, we have radios, you know, for Redlands and I start like hearing crackling over the radio, but. They're not great radios, so you can't hear that long of range. And it's like, I can hear someone talking. I don't know who's talking. I don't know what they're saying. And all of a sudden, I just hear like a yell or like a scream, like, wait for me. And I'm like, oh, I think I know what that is. And then right about that moment, I'm rolling into the feed zone and Isaiah's there. And Isaiah just comes on like, stop. You have to wait. Like Tyler's bridging and Xander's not with him. And you have to help him bridge back up to the break. So I literally just came to a stop in the feed zone. And it was funny because, you know, the feed zone, there's like a hundred people there. All the directors are there, all the Swannies are there, and they're all just looking at me as I just come to a stop and the whole and the brake just rolls away. And, you know, 20, 25 seconds later, I see Tyler with another two guys on his wheel, bridging up to us. He gets on the wheel and we just freaking motor. And, you know, after you hit the feed zone, it's pretty much downhill and then kind of a twisty technical descend through a neighborhood and ultimately i just i rode as hard as i could to bridge you know 20 25 second gap which is a fair bit and as soon as we got him like right up to the break i just completely imploded to the point where i had to paper boy up the climb it was like right by the base of the climb so i was just like it was a nuclear implosion and i was like well like i'm not gonna be able to stay with those guys and then the next group which was the ultimately last group on the road came by with Xander and a couple of uh, other kind of hitters in there. And I tried to even stand that group. And I was like, nope, nope, that is, that is it. So I ultimately, I think I rolled in for like 20th that day. But, you know, it meant that Tyler did, he got to the break, which was ultimately the winning move of the day, which is the move I got in. And they stayed away and he won the stage. And like, it was one of those things where like, holy crap, I can't believe that plan actually worked. And Tyler had the legs that day, like, You know, no one was going to do it but Tyler, but I do feel like, you know, yeah, despite giving up personal glory, I would sacrifice me winning that stage, even though it's one of the most famous stages in the U.S., but I would sacrifice myself winning that stage for Tyler to win the GC of that race. It was just it was a kind of big picture team goal and we pulled it off.
0: And Tyler didn't win it by a lot you know, separating him and Xander White was only like 13 or 14 seconds. It was close. Over 11 hours of bike racing, you are separated by less than 20 seconds. I mean, that's just the way it works. You know, nowadays you just, that's just, I guess that's just nature of of the bike racing world. And, and, you know, you can see that in the Tour de France or the Giro, you know, that's about to start or has started already. You know, that's not at the top, it's not a lot of separation. And so that's kind of interesting as a segue to what ultimately happens with Gila. You know, when you look at Redlands and you look at Gila, you're looking at two of the biggest stage races in the United States. That's just that's just it right now, and they're back to back. And you, you know, you had a team winning performance at, Gila, at at Redlands, but you did not do particularly well overall for yourself you know you've talked about how it doesn't really matter because Tyler won and it it was very much worth it when you go into Gila do you have a different game plan or is it just we are on a roll with this game this is you know Tyler's won three GC events in a row it's time to just do it again let's set it up and go
1: I mean ultimately yes you know it's like I don't think we go into any race being like Tyler, you know, I think there was still a chance for me to do some, to have a result at Gila, but at the same time, know that like Tyler is the best rider in the country right now. In my opinion, I still think that's true. I think Tyler is right now the best rider in the country, and why wouldn't you put your eggs into that basket? Gila is one of those races where it does shake itself out a bit, especially on the first day because it's a hundred miles straight into the desert to a ghost town, up a thirty-minute climb, like that's it. That's he. That's and so it really. Kind of thins itself out but that's not to say that teamwork is you know absolute in that race and then it really did wind up becoming a factor in that race you know also you know as you'll probably talk about it was a very close race going into the last day it was eerily similar to redlands
0: yeah so talk to us about that talk to us about how it it develops because the end result is different than redlands you know we in the, the week before this episode airs, we talk extensively about Sean the Gardener's win at Gila and and kind of how it and the success that you and Project Echelon have had as a touch point for the the future of American bike racing. Uh, you know, kind of how professionalism, elite bike racing, they're melding into this new theory of guys who are capable of having a nine to five job but also performing better than they performed as quote unquote professional athletes who dedicated themselves exclusively to that. So walk us through how it works for Gila.
1: So, yeah, so Gila, you know, it's ultimately a lot of the same guys that were doing Redlands and we swapped in the humble hammer who is like an absolute Gila specialist, which he showed. And then we brought in Will Harden who this was by far the biggest race he'd ever done. And he was I think very nervous going into it and then came out of it like an absolute champ. So we had a few new guys, but ultimately same core group of dudes. But then, you know, on the flip side, you have half the teams doing Gila didn't do Redlands. So you have this dynamic of, okay, we have, you know, a a couple of these teams from Mexico, teams from Canada that didn't do Redlands coming into Gila fresh. Like, how is this going to play out? So first day, you know, like I said, it's a pretty straightforward day. We controlled the entire day. We rode it, you know, and executed it on a very high level. Ultimately, getting to you know the Mogian and Tyler finished seventh, and I was thirteenth on it. I think it would, those were both kind of far results from what we wanted. But there were guys on the day that were better. It was a very truthful race up that. It's it's a power to weight kind of battle, and you know, you had two guys that, Matteo and Toby, that just rode super well. So okay, that's fine. Whatever. You know, it's not a ton of time. It was like 30 seconds, which in the grand scheme of Gila when you look at the last day, is absolutely nothing. You go to day two, a very odd race. It was very hard. Like The interloop day can be easy, but some days it can be hard. This was one of those times when it was hard. It got messy. We got two guys into the break, but they were the two guys we didn't want to get into the break. Jordan and George got in the break, but we wanted me, or at least Tyler, to get into the break. GC guys went up the road. We had to use our own team to bring basically our guys that were in the break back because there were too many GC threats up there. We bring it back right at the last minute and Tyler wins the sprint. The guy set him up perfectly. So, okay, cool. We got a stage win. Like, this is awesome. Like, okay, what's next day time trial. You know, we have a team of guys that are super high level time trialists. we were really unfortunate. We, there was a mix up the day before Zach Gregg ultimately couldn't get a wheel because he had done his job and then was outside the caravan and, It was just one of those things where no one had a wheel. And so he ultimately was just sitting out there walking with his bike. So it was a, that was a, that was a tough day. And we were like super bummed to miss him. But you go into the TT, George, you know, finally gets the win. He's gotten like podium at that race tons of times and he's never won it. Finally wins it. Tyler puts in a super good ride. Vogel puts in a super good ride. Will puts in a super good, like everyone put in a really good ride, but Matteo Del Cin put in a very good ride and was second on the day and put a little bit more time into Tyler, so we're like, ah, oh, crap. Okay, like it's still manageable. So then we get to the crit, which was my favorite day of the North American Grand Tour. the The two weeks of racing, the crit was like textbook controlled start to finish, lead out, set up Tyler for the sprint win. It was just like one of those days where. Everyone was just gelling super well. And ultimately, like, we just kind of, again, pulled off a plan that was that was perfect. And so then Tyler got two time bonuses in that race and got the stage win. So then we brought that kind of deficit back down. And we're going into the last day. And like I said, it was one of those things where it was eerily similar to Redlands. And yet again, I go up in the break. And we kind of wanted to do the same thing because, you know, the last day of Gila, it's like over 10,000 feet of climbing, multiple cat one climbs. I think you have five categorized climbs on the day. So it was going to be a hard day no matter what. So me and Will Harden, we go in the break, and ultimately what we're trying to do is the same kind of thing. If Tyler gets to the point where it thins out, we're going to be there to help him out. And it was one of those days where it was just like everyone kind of did what they could, and we ultimately got caught in a pretty bad point on the course. Kind of it was the... um One of the hardest climbs, the Cepillo climb, we got caught right at the base. And when you're on the break all day and then the group of favorites whittles themselves down and then they come screaming up a climb and you like look back and they're all right there. And you're just like, what can I do? And I'm like, I don't actually think I can do anything, but like take my water bottles and you just try to do whatever you can. And ultimately it was one of those days that just didn't work out. And I wish it did, like, you know, but at the same time, it's almost one of those kind of reminders that like, yeah, other teams can beat us. And, you know, it just wasn't our day. And that just happens in cycling. You know, it's happened for me for the past month. Tyler, I honestly think he'd be the first one to say like, I gave it what I had that day. And, you know, there were just some guys that were better. And that's just bike racing. And I mean, ultimately, like some good things came out of that day. Like Will Harden had a super good day. The team still rode really well. Tyler still won two stages and the sprint jersey. It's like, we didn't come away from that race with nothing. I think we were just riding that high from Redlands and just, you know, we thought, you know, we kind of do the same. And it was just so similar that we're like, heck yeah, let's just play that same song from last week and like, just win it again. But like, ultimately we still had such a great race. And, you know, like you got to tip your hats to CS Vela too. Like Sean, I love Sean. He's a great guy. He was on a ripper that day. Like he gave it like what he had and he came out on top. And like, like you said, you know, CS is not that different of a program from us and ultimately like I hope that that win like kind of puts them on an even higher trajectory where like they get more sponsors because of it like more money comes into that team it's like we need more teams like ours to grow the sport here to where it once was so like yeah I mean I'm I'm happy for them I wish we would have won it but you know it was still a good race.
0: Joining us all the way from Palmerston North in New Zealand, Ethan Crane. Ethan, since you've been home, have you had an opportunity to go to the Rugby Museum in Palmerston?
2: (laughs) I haven't been this time. I think I've been so many different times that uh, I haven't had a chance to put anything new in, so... I think I'll give it a skip this time,
0: So obviously, folks know you're in New Zealand, uh, which is a far cry from the U.S. crit scene and the U.S. road racing scene and what we've got going on here right now, which is called summer, as opposed to winter, where you are. The, (laughs) The question is, how did we get there? And I didn't know any of these facts until after team camp was over. But you were kind of under orders to get back to new zealand but new zealand was kind of holding you up not letting you get back in because of the covid uh quarantine requirements what what's what was the story going on there
2: yeah so i mean end of last year was when it was really bad after september last year season was done and new zealand had a a funny system where you would enter a lottery to they would open up three thousand rooms at a time hotel quarantine rooms and you'd get into a lottery lottery lobby and you were given a random number. And if it was in the first 3000, you got a hotel room to quarantine. If you're outside of that 3000, you had to wait until they opened up another 3000 rooms a couple weeks later. So I never got one. I was kind of sitting around the ten thousandth mark every time I tried to get a room. So I was out of luck. And then this time going home, I actually had to come back because my insurance company, decided that I'd been out of the country for too long and that I was a uh, too much of a risk being in America. So they said I'd come back to New Zealand to renew my policy. Luckily, during kind of the start of this year, New Zealand lifted their MIQ quarantine facilities and I could come through with just a, my vaccine passport and a self-quarantine at my house if I was positive. So that's why I had to come home. It was supposed to be a quick trip. I was only supposed to be back for 10 days or so just to renew my insurance um, and then get back for a full-on season of racing. It was just starting to kick off. So I was really excited and then hit a little bump, as I'm sure we'll talk about.
0: Yeah, let's talk about this this bump. It was a left turn that was supposed to be a straight What, <laughs> and then just chaos ensued. You have a, a, what, like a five, six centimeter scar on your right arm now? How did you acquire that?
2: Yeah, it's a pretty gnarly scar. It takes up almost my whole forearm, and I got an eight-hole plate in my forearm. So it's pretty gnarly. But, um, yeah, I came home. I saw that there was a, a club race going on, local local bike one or two club race. So I thought, ah, yeah, I'll, I'll give this a go. Come on, show these locals what a critter in America is like. Um so I rock up and we're racing along. It's kind of a it's a new course uh that kind of added on to how they normally run it. And we we're ticking along little pace line, get to an intersection. There's two ways you can go. You can either go straight or you can go left. The race was straight. Um I'm sitting second wheel as on the inside, just ready to roll through, and he decides to take a left hander right in front of me at 50 something K an hour, just giving me no time to react. And I went flying over his back wheel into the concrete, stuck my hand out as I hit the ground and just heard a snap in my right arm. So that was that.
0: Arms are taking a little bit of a beating on Project Echelon this year. (laughs) I mean, you breaking your right arm, Jordan obviously breaking his left arm at, at team camp. Jordan's back up and running, did his whole thing at Redlands and Gila and did incredibly well. Your recovery has been a little bit slower. What's been the story there?
2: Yeah. I mean, I I feel myself I'm ready to ride again, but the hospital and professional opinions um, aren't so sure. (laughs) They want me still indoors on the trainer for at least another two weeks. Um, So that'd be six weeks in total post-break which, yeah, is pretty gutting to hear when you see Jordan, you know, back racing and doing well as well, which is awesome to see. Uh, I was very jealous that he was back on the bike so fast. So it's been rough. Yeah, just lots of indoor trainer sessions. Um, But I'm definitely – I feel myself that I'm ready to go back out, but they want me here for another two weeks, just to to be sure. And, I, I mean, I'm not too upset about it. Because, uh, if I were to go back and start racing again and to have another crash and fall on my arm, I'm pretty sure I would cause some pretty big damage to the big plate that's sitting there. So, um, I'd rather just get it more healed than it is now. Um, and go back and have less risk of doing some major damage. If I hit the deck again.
0: I can promise you that the 45-year-old version of yourself is probably going to really appreciate that because you know that the the one thing that you will hit if you crash is that right arm. And so it's good that you're doing that but like there's got to be a serious case of FOMO that you are you've you're dealing with here because you were supposed to be monks guy his lieutenant at Sonny King. Will Harden went in your place. Now Will did incredible, but that was supposed to be you. How are you dealing with
2: that? I'm not gonna lie, I was pretty upset watching a lot of those races uh, from home with a massive cast going up to my shoulder. I mean Will did an amazing job. I watched I've watched the the live streams and he rode like a champ. But yeah seeing those guys there uh, made me <laughs> very jealous and I had a lot of FOMO. Um, it's just super frustrating knowing, you know, where I should be right now and what I'm doing and how a silly little mistake at a silly little club race can almost put a halt to your whole season, almost end your whole season. I mean, to be honest, I've missed I've missed probably half of my season already, you know. I've probably missed arguably the biggest crit of the year in Athens. Uh, I've missed all of Speed Week. Um, I've missed every stage race in America. I was supposed to go to Joe Martin. So, yeah, I'm pretty gutted. It just kind of feels like you're never going to catch a break with how long it's taking. And it's also frustrating with, you know, Speed Week was much further down the line last year. Everything was kind of mid-summer, whereas this year they brought it all spring, early summer races so if if they had the same calendar as last year, I would have been fine. but the the way they have the races this year, I've missed out on a lot already.
0: How are you dealing with that? Like sitting there in Palmerston North, you know, at your folks' place, you're you're trying to do the training that you can do. You're trying to get the focus that you can get. How are you maintaining? you know, one focus going forward and two as positive positive an attitude and energy as you can possibly have.
2: A lot of, a lot of walking the dogs and going for coffees <laughs> pretty much. I got to, I need, I mean, I need, I need something to fill my day and I'm lucky enough. I live here. We have got some horses and sheep, some out in the paddock sometimes playing with those guys and just something to fill the day up. But yeah, I kind of, I'm glad I've got some confidence going in, knowing that a lot of the crits I've done before, I know what they're like. It's not my first race at them anymore. I've had a go last year and it just gives me an opportunity to really be smarter about how I race, because I probably won't have the fitness that everyone else has or that I had last year. So it's going to force me to be a lot smarter about how I race. And that just means it kind of encourages some sneakier ways to hide in the wind and just really make sure I'm there at the finish.
0: But you're not missing the whole year. You know, the plan is for you to come back and get back to the United States real quick. I I know that you had talked about coming back for Rochester and that was going to be your first reintroduction to the American Criterion Cup. That doesn't look like it's going to happen now, but The good thing about American crit racing is you just wait a week. And so, you know, you, you, instead of Rochester, you get a hundred K in 95 degree heat and a hundred percent humidity for armed forces. Tulsa's right after that Harlem, you know, there's a lot of good races. Are you excited to get back?
2: Oh yeah. I can't wait. I'm just itching to start racing again. And that's a good thing is that, you know, there is racing, uh, most weekends from now on you can find a race somewhere in the country so there's a lot lot going on i haven't it's still all to play for um i'm gonna come back i'm gonna be flying best buddies don't know what's doesn't gonna know what's hit them when i'm back so
0: <laughs> I love I love how you stayed on top of everything that's happening in the United States and you can ID best buddies as as the target team. I mean, looking at the crits that are coming up, looking at the crits that you're going to participate in. What do you think your role is going to be in those in those races? Because things have changed. Clearly, you've lost time, you've lost training, you know, races where you might have been the primary. Now we're you know, this is an organization. Project Echelon's an organization. That's the beauty of it. Somebody fills your role. Monk has filled that role. Peter Olenichek is obviously in there all the time, super savvy. John Heinlein is winning bike races up in the upper Midwest slash Great Lakes region. There's a lot of guys who are, you know, filling your void right now. How are you going to get back in there and and reestablish yourself?
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, the boys... there's heaps of them that can win a bike race on my team so i'm by far not the only one so yeah i mean i'm super happy to help them as well win some races and do well at races um and just if the opportunity comes for myself take it but yeah I'm, i'm quite happy to those guys obviously have a lot more experience than me and are probably on some better form than i am at the moment as well so definitely the first few races when I'm back, um, I'd be super happy to play more of a, a team role and just kind of help them out any way I can and just kind of get my, my bunch racing nerves back. Obviously this is, this is my first race of the season really, um, forces will be. So it always takes a couple races to get super comfortable with how everyone else is riding and being able to move up efficiently and stuff like that. So Once I get the first few races out of the way, yeah, my, the sprint never takes much to come along, you know, a couple of sprint sessions and it's probably back to where it was before. So yeah, I'm just super excited to see, I mean, I've been, obviously I've been watching the live streams of best buddies kind of really dominating so far this year, so it'll be interesting to actually be in there and see how they race. A lot of these new guys on their team I've never raced before, so. It'll be exciting
0: for sure. What about Europe? I know that Europe has been a focus and goal of yours. Project Echelon has raced there in the past. Eric has made a very clear point that it's a big goal of him and hit and the organization to make sure you guys get over there. You've got splot- you've got slots, you've got opportunities. You know, are you still focused on getting? to Europe this year as opposed to pushing that dream back maybe a year. No,
2: I'm gonna I'm gonna push for this year. I mean I'm still gonna try. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But definitely I still still wanna get over there. There's still time. I mean I think I've been doing these trainer sessions. I've been keeping them short and sharp with Zach, Zach Gregg, my coach. Um, which is how mainly just the the mental side of it. Um, I think if I was doing three hours on the ERG every day, I probably would have quit by now. So um, it's good, you know, like an hour and a half of efforts is a lot more enjoyable for me than three hours of just riding. So, but once I get back on the road, back into some decent training, um, I still want to head over to Europe. The hard thing is there's so many good road racers on our team, you know, Tyler Stites, Zimmer, Hugo, all these guys, super super savvy on the road races uh we'll see um if they don't take me they don't take me i'll focus on the crits for the rest of this year pretty much uh plenty of them if they do then yeah that's something i really want to do well at still
0: Monk, let's set some ambiance here, let everybody know kind of like the way that the world works. One of the things that I learned about you at team camp is that I cannot walk out of a room where you're in it without sitting down and having a drink with you. That was like our post day like ritual every single day. We'd have dinner together. We might have some ice cream, sheet cake, whatever it happens to be for dessert. But then like I'd be getting ready to go back to the room that I was staying in, which was in a house across the street. And you'd be like, hey, Rob, 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 sit down. Have a drink with me. Have a drink with me. And I I couldn't not do it. Like I'm exhausted, like seeing like different stars in my eyes from from just getting throttled the whole damn day. But then it was just like, you know what? We're going to have a drink. So we are having drinks here together. I'm having a bourbon from a distillery out here in Washington, D.C. called District Made. You in Knoxville, Tennessee.
3: Yes, I'm having a bourbon whiskey. um, Wolcott. Uh, it's super smooth, and I've just started getting into bourbon, so it's a, a a new style for me. Like my my thing is, if you're gonna have something, like might as well have something that's gonna relax you. You can enjoy, um, and just have a good time with it. Whether it's one uh, uh one shot, one one sip of whiskey, beer, uh, whatever it is, like you find something that that you're gonna enjoy and share it with folks.
0: And that was the best part. It was sharing it with you and with the other guys on the couch at Joe Carpasassi and Jenna's house. I, I think that those were the most fun conversations that I had during that entire eight day period. So thank you for that.
3: Yeah. And I, I think it kind of takes your guard away a little bit and makes you like a little more relaxed and maybe even more engaged in into the conversation too.
0: There's a lot of racing that you personally have done, and there's a lot of things to cover over the next couple of minutes with you. So I wanted to do something, this is a suggestion that came from Nathan and Morley from Snowy Mountain, is to quickly run through the three races that you've done since we were last together, the three big races, you know, Fox NFL style. So here it is. We're gonna put two minutes on the clock, Here and we're going to try. I am going to try my level best to nail a recap of Sonny King, Athens, and Spartanburg in that time. And then we're going to go back and we're going to talk in more detail about how you experienced it. So, ready for this?
3: Boom, boom, boom. Let's go.
0: Okay. So, two minutes on the clock. Here we go, starting with Sonny King and Allison, Annison, Alabama. Four corner crit, but definitely not a flat crit in any way, shape, or form. It was the first of the ACC races, which meant that. Prizes, money, all of it was on the line. You walk away with the lead in the sprinter's jersey, which is the combination of the seven-lap midpoint and seven-lap-to-go race points. And you also walk away, if I am not correct... Uh, with second uh, overall in the full results behind Alfredo Rodriguez, who has 115, you have 93. So real quick about the race. The race basically stayed together the full way, with the exception of a couple of cheeky moves, one by Michael Hernandez that had some really good legs to it. He had another partner with him. They were doing a good job until your teammate, Will Harden, dragged it all back. During that time, you picked up some critical third-place points in that midpoint sprint midpoint sprint in order to safeguard your position now in first in that competition. The rate the race came down to the last five laps where ButcherBox and Project Echelon got on the front, but unfortunately there was only two guys for each team. So it's kind of hard to maintain a lead. And then Best Buddies just came over the top like they were a thundering herd with three laps to go, nails it for Alfredo Rodriguez. You know, you obviously snatch enough points there To walk away with the win in the sprint competition, but second overall. So the big three Alfredo Rodriguez, Tom Gibbons from Automatic, and Ty Magner. Moving on to Spartanburg, and I've got, whoa, I've run out of time. Spartanburg four corner crit, super simple. It all stayed together the whole time, except for once where you went off the front with the Miami Blazers, dude, but it was just too short of a race, too quick of a race. Uh, Best Buddies does it again, comes over the top with three laps to go, drives the race from one minute and five second laps to 55 to 53 to ludicrous speed and nails it again for Alfredo Rodriguez coming away with the win. Then we come to Athens. Athens was a huge, huge event for you. The breakaway in Athens started with drips and drabs, one, two, three guys get off the front, four guys get off the front. You were in that last group of guys that made up the 13-man breakaway. You had the most desperate escape from that group and made that bridge there at the very last second, and like I could see that it was getting real tough for you right there in the end. The break lapped on the field, and so now you've got 13 randomly spaced out guys who are winning, who are suddenly thrust back into the group and trying to move from uh, the back of the pack to the front of the pack while everybody else is going on. It gets a little crazy down there in the end, and the surprise finish is Brian Gomez from Best Buddies Racing, comes away with the win ty magner the athens local gets second place and then liam white from butcher box finishes in third you finish fifth which is a wide angle podium spot so congratulations okay that was three minutes and nine seconds i gotta work on this
3: that uh, that was a killer killer recap of it though you hit pretty much all major marks there <laughs>
0: I don't feel like I've got the Terry Bradshaw in me yet. I'm going to have to practice this more. Like, I really rehearsed this on my ride today, but oof. Let's talk about Spartanburg first. No secret, Spartanburg, you know, you ended up ninth that day. You were not feeling well. Like, you, you physically were sick, which, you know, finishing ninth in that race is really hard. I want you to tell us about the Spartanburg course because, like it's from my perspective of racing it and watching it, it is not a hard course, but when you get out there with a hundred dudes, suddenly it becomes hard. Tell us about that course.
3: I think myself and a lot of people have a love hate relationship with that course. Um, I cannot figure out if it is because it is very narrow and so fast that it makes it so hard or guys just like to take risks at at that course Um, it seems like there are always some major crashes that happen Um, guys that are maybe trying to do that dodgy move of not hitting the brakes to last minute so they can move up a couple spots whether it's in the middle of the pack on the outside of the turn on the inside of the turn chopping whatever it is it just makes it for a super dicey hard course kind of that style of racing is something that i love and hate at the same time um, i love being in the middle of a pack where you're kind of rubbing shoulders obviously you're not trying to race sketchy you're not trying to uh, throw someone into the barriers but you do have to kind of use your body uh, to hold position, because if you don't fight for that position, um, you're moving 20 guys back each lap. So you ha- you really have to fight each lap to stay at the front. So uh, I think I have a love-hate relationship just because it is a, a course where you have to use your body to get around.
0: All of the Speed Week courses are relatively short in length. I think Spartanburg is less than a kilometer in length, because it's 70 minutes and you do 70 laps and 70 minutes, which makes perfect sense. Athens is the same way. Athens is 1k la- uh, laps. So it's 80k, 80 laps. Really simple. The thing I don't know that you appreciate while watching it on TV or the live stream is that, so they've got, it's a quintessential Southern sporting event. Let's put it like that. So at spartanburg they have the you know there are these road pieces of road furniture so like where the crosswalks would come out they would stick out a little bit like the curb does and so instead of making that part of the course they just put gates lining up all the way down the course from rhode island to rhode island to rhode island so it squeeze it makes the appearance of the course being squeezed especially on the finishing stretch and then this is where it becomes truly southern because it reminds me of Ole Miss and football games in the Grove. Everybody has a tent, so they've got these great tents that are spread down the course all the way along the finishing stretch, for you know, like the the local real estate company or for whoever it is who wants to rent out the tent. But that all gives the perception that the road is a ton narrower, like. I was thinking about the Eisenhower Expressway in Chicago, like around Hillside, (laughs) where it like funnels down into one lane and you're like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? But the next part, when you get to First Avenue in Oak Park, right where Malcolm X College and the Resurrection Cemetery are, like nothing weird happens with the road there. Like all three lanes are still there. Like, you can still continue to drive, but the shoulder just gets narrower because they're not going to dig up ground on the, the cemetery. But, like, at First Avenue, every damn day on the Eisenhower, it will be bumper to bumper right there because it's just this perception that the road gets narrower. And I know what you're talking about. It's corner four. Yeah. That's it. Corner four is the corner. That's where all the bad stuff happens. And, and in some cases, that's where the races are won.
3: Oh yeah. A hundred percent. Like another thing I love about that course is it is always packed too with people, um, tents, everything. And there was a funny moment. It must've been about halfway through the race. And I took corner four pretty hot. I was on the outside and I went over, over the, the barrier, little, the feet of the barrier and, or I hit someone's beer with my hand. Cause they had their beer hanging on the outside and it dropped and i, I just kind of chuckled to myself like i was like that this is bike racing like crowds people yelling beer flying like gotta have fun out there so it kind of made me laugh a little bit like i was happy that that happened to me and because i was like oh, i love this like that's another dynamic to the sport that people don't realize is we need crowds to amp us up during the race. And that kind of threw a little fire into my butt while I was racing as well.
0: There was one time you went off the front at that race that I witnessed. So I was in corner one corner one's kind of a kind of an interesting corner because it's downhill into a left hander into a slight uphill between corner one and two and three and four are pretty short stretches. But there's an up and a down in both of those. So, you know, it's kind of a critical moment. But with corner one, there's that little cutout on the inside, which is at grade, but it's just a different material. Like it's it's concrete as opposed to like blacktop. And so that's the line that you go through from blacktop to concrete to blacktop. There, you know, there had been a fair number of moves in in the course of that race, it's like little brief efforts that somebody tried something, but you were following and he was wearing black. There's way too many, apparently black kits right now in, in our Peloton and especially at night. Cause the race was run at night. It's hard to tell, but I think it was one of the guys from the Miami blazers. You followed him through that corner and this, uh I am going to paraphrase One of the greatest movies of all time. I don't think it's the cutting edge. That movie, you know, with D.B. Sweeney and and Moira Kelly, where D.B. Sweeney is a hockey player who goes over to figure skating. I thought it was that at the moment, but now I realize it's more than likely Blades of Glory that I'm going to quote here.
3: (laughs) I I was going to say, it's probably Blades of Glory coming on here.
0: (laughs) You are absolutely beautiful on the bike. Like, the way that you attack a corner, and this all clicked for me in an instant like two weeks ago. Watching you attack that corner, listening to Lauren Tucker Hall talk about how crit racing is a competition to win the corner, you are low over the front of the bike, your center of gravity is forward towards that front axle, your elbows are bent, pretty strong angle, you have all of your momentum going forward. And every time you hit a corner, you attack that corner. And a lot of us use corners as a time to catch our breath because we know what's coming on the other side of the corner is an acceleration. You have adopted this approach of saying, I am going to exit this corner faster than anybody else, thereby eliminating the need to accelerate out of the corner. My own coach, got on me the other day. He's, I was like, I think I need to lose a little bit of weight, Zach. He's like, nah, just go, just exit the corner faster. It's like losing 10 pounds and you can still have a cheeseburger. I was like, oh my God, my mind is blown. <laughs> yeah. Is this a conscious decision point or is this just something that has gotten so ingrained in your mind about the way that you attack corners is that you lay yourself out there. Your head is down and into it.
3: Yeah. I've learned it Over the years of racing, I realized how many people have to stomp so hard on the pedals after the turn. And I kind of developed a style where I might lay uh, half a bike length off uh, the guy in front of me, maybe a little less. Maybe it might just be a couple inches so I can get a better run on the corner. And I might even in the middle of the corner start to come around them a little bit if there's guys in front of me and I so you what I like to do is like you said arms are bent hands are tight on the bars my my hands are are actually driving into the bars into the turn my outer leg is driving into the pedal Um, I feel like it helps me get a little more traction um, and it steadies the bike underneath me so I like to attack into the corner and just get more momentum, and it saves so much energy. You do not have to stomp on the pedals. You could wait another five, six seconds while everyone's already stomping on the pedals, getting out of the saddle, um, sprinting back up to speed. You can use that time to take a deep breath. When guys are taking a deep breath before the corner, you can take the deep breath into the corner and out of the corner, which gives you another second or two to catch your breath and you don't have to. Uh, exert that energy and spike that heart rate out of each corner.
0: And I want to know what your feeling is when you're doing it. So like there are moments in sport where the spectator knows something big is about to happen. Like just think of any any major ball sport, for example, you know it like you could be at the most boring baseball game in the world, but you hear that crack of the bat and you're just like, it, there's a there's a pause before everybody like looks up from their phones and is like, oh my god, this is the big one. This is the big one. It's the same thing with football, like the short pass that the receiver or the back makes one or two good moves in the open field. And the next thing you know, it's like 40, 50 yards down the field, and like everybody in the stands just rises up. Your your move there in Spartanburg coming through corner one. Attacking that corner was a moment when everybody who was around me, who knew what sport what this sport was about, was just like, "Oh, that's dangerous." As the racer, do you know when you're attacking that that is the dangerous move? That everybody behind you who's missing out on this, they're missing out.
3: Yeah, uh, there. I feel like everyone kind of realizes it, Um, even the the person that who's doing the attacking. So at that moment. It was a hard race. I know specifically for me, I was saving my bullets for um, just one or two moves for the race because honestly I wasn't feeling a hundred percent. I knew driving down that it was gonna be a race where I had to save all the bullets I can. and just being the only uh, project echelon guy there for that race, I knew I really had to race it smart. so at that moment, my heart rate was pinged. I knew all the other guys were extremely tired because coming through the start finish, it kind of fanned out. And that at that moment, I was like, all right, this is my opportunity to make something in the race. And if other guys are tired, usually one or two guys will just feel that move coming and go with it even if they don't have a lot of energy and so I feel or I felt like that was the time to make something happen make kind of my my one match of going in into the breakaway happen at that moment and um yeah I I just kind of fanned out uh to the inside and through that corner it really slowed down and I had just good momentum and decided to put my head down and uh, make a move out of it.
0: Is that the same thing that happened at Athens? Because at Athens, there were already 10 guys up and that's a race where one, you can lap the field pretty damn easy. And two, the 10 guys who were up were Legion, Legion, best buddies, best buddies, butcher box, butcher box, Tom Gibbons, like it was a stacked group that was up the field.
3: Yeah. Athens was a bit of a mistake when all those guys went up the road. We, um, I honestly thought we had Evan in there, uh, being a dark race like that. Um, you can't, it's, it's hard to tell jerseys. Like nowadays, I feel like there's like six teams that have kind of darker jerseys or a little bit of blue, like our jerseys. And, um, I was like, Oh, sweet. Evan's up there. We're good. Um, I even went back to talk to, um, some of the guys and Peter and I was like, Oh, Evan's up there. We're good. And they were like, yeah, yeah, we're good. And a couple laps later, I was like, Evan's behind me. Um, what do we do now? And I just, I was like, all right, we it's now, now or never like, I'm either going to get to the breakaway or I'm not going to finish this race um, just because I knew we had to do something at that moment. It was getting down. Um, I think the gap was about 20, 25 seconds at that point, kind of just sitting at that spot for the elastic to break um, because guys, some other teams were chasing um, just to hold that gap and i knew it was now or now or never to kind of try to get up there and i made a an initial move and i got a couple seconds off the field um sat on the front for a lap and i i at that moment i almost said all right we're racing for 11 and then um the texas roadhouse guy attacked after i kind of started coming back and i was like well this is going to be my last ditch effort. Like I'm going to put all, all my eggs into this basket um, for myself, the, the team to, to get up there to that move. And, Uh, make something happen
0: and you made the juncture just coming out of corner four so corner four for those who don't know is the corner that leads into the super steep decently long hill that breaks everybody's will to survive up to the start finish and you made that juncture right then and there how deep did you have to go to get there
3: i i was on the limit of getting dropped i i I had to go hard. I knew – or before that, like before I initially went with a um, Texas Roadhouse guy, I was already kind of pinged a little bit. And I was like, well, all right, we're going to get up there, and I just need to save any energy I can. And once we finally made it, I, I think it took us about two laps to finally get up to the move. But uh, once we finally got up there, I, I don't know if it was – best buddies or someone got on the front front and really drove it hard the next two laps and that's when the uh, elastic kind of snapped and we we started gaining time to lap the field and i i just kind of hung on for the lat or for the next five six laps just trying to save any energy i could to really recover um i honestly i didn't ever fully recover i was kind of sitting at threshold the, the rest of the time until we caught the field.
0: When you catch the field at Athens, you know, the field was diminished in size by that point in time because it's, it's been a lot of the race already by the point in time you made that juncture. There was no way that you weren't going to lap. I mean, let's be honest, you know, Legion had too many people in the field left. Best Buddies had too many people in the field left. And, you know, Tom had his entire team. So, like, they were going to drive that until they lapped. How did you figure out where everybody was once you lapped the field? Or is it just get back to the front as quickly as you can so that you can cover everything?
3: Yeah, uh, my my thought was, all right, I really don't want to lap because these riders have a full team still in the field. So I was like, all right, well, I hope we don't lap, but I'm 99.9% sure we are going to lap up. And when we finally did, all the riders went um, left, right, through the middle. And it was pretty much like, all right, you have to get your ass to the front. There was no all right, let me sit in the field for a second and recover or sit in the back and um, recover. It was get to the front at at all costs. And um, it took about a lap and a half to get to the front. And my my thought was, I thought really guys were going to just start throwing moves um, to try to get up up the road again, Um, whether it was Legion or Automatic or someone else. um, I thought they were going to try to, try to get off the front again. And really it just stayed at a heavy, hard pace.
0: So is there honor in the field after the lap is done? Like after everybody's done, they're back on the same lap, but some like 10 guys in this case, 13 guys are a lap up. Is there honor in the field? Like when it comes down to the sprint, do the guys who've been lapped get the heck out of the way?
3: No, they're they're. I mean, they're, they're still in that race to get the best placing that they can. Um yes there is a little bit of honor where um it's like all right I'm not going to fight you as hard as I normally would um but I'm I'm still there to race I'm still there to get my team the best position I can um so everyone is still in full race mode um whether they they are racing for first or racing for 15th place they're they're still in full race mode and um yeah, they'll they'll give you a little bit of leeway, but they're they're still out there to do a job.
0: You know, up next weekend is Rochester. It's the second stop in the American Crit Cup. You and a couple other guys from Project Echelon are going there to defend your Sprinters jersey. Is that the case? Or, or what's the what's the plan for Rochester? Because I know that the American Crit Cup has been a stated goal for the organization.
3: We, I can't tell you our plan. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we, we actually have a couple things uh, we are really trying to do at Rochester. Uh, we, we do have a smaller squad there. It's just going to be the four of us, uh, myself. I will be going for the sprinter's jersey, but that is not our main priority. Um, yes, it would be nice to hold on to that competition. Keep Keep that jersey on the back of our backs. But our main goal is to really kind of start this next block of racing um, and get the win at Rochester. So whether whether it's myself, Peter, Evan, who, whoever it's going to be, we are going to go out there swinging. We, we kind of knew what we had to work on these last couple of weeks after the, the last block of racing. And so I think each rider, that really motivated us to – kind of come out swinging at Rochester and get ready for this next block.
0: It's going to be intense on the shores of the Genesee River there in Monroe County, Northwestern uh, New York. I'm trying to go with all the things that I know about Rochester. I used to have to work there quite a bit. And, like, if you need advice on a good place to get a beer post-race, the Dinosaur is legit. It's right there at where the podium presentation is. It's that bar. It's a legit location. I would meet you there for a beer if I was in town, but like, go there, have one for me.
3: Well, for anyone listening to this show, um, at, after the race, I guess we're going to the Dinosaur. That's where, where the party's going to start. Um, and we'll we'll make it happen there.
0: The team is currently in second place in the team competition for the American Crit Cup. You are currently in second place in the overall, just a few points, 18 points behind Alfredo Rodriguez, and you're in first place in the sprint competition. The difference between those two is that the sprint competition only counts the three sprint points in the middle. The final one counts All of them, plus the finish. So, you know, there's a great opportunity. There's a lot in flux. I know the guys from Best Buddies uh, are targeting Joe Martin, which will be that day. So they may not have that full squad there. So let's see if you can pick up the do we have a name yet for the leader's jersey for the overall is that the red ish jersey i mean what is there a name i i honestly
3: don't think there's a name for the jersey you want to make one up
0: now I, I would love it i was thinking the ombre jersey oh the ombre jersey yes because <laughs> it's got a little bit of a color gradient
3: yeah no i, I love that that different style no, that's not something that like a normal jersey or leader you you would you would think of so I I like that
0: thank you for joining us on another episode of this show we are a proud part of the wide angle podium network of shows wideanglepodium.com for everything about bike racing in the United States and in the world good place to go Today's show was written, produced, and edited by me, Rob Kelly. Next week, we've got a great episode with Danny Morrishead from LA Sweat, where we break down what happened at Wilmington. Until next time, we'll catch you for more stories from our Criterion Nation.